Well, Happy New Year. Maybe. <laughs> all right, we'll work with that, all right? First Sunday back, it's cold outside. Uh, well, we're here, we're in the house of the Lord, and I hope that you are glad uh, to be here today. Uh, as we begin this new year, uh, worshiping together, as we are relaunching our study of Romans, before we continue on in our progress and move into Romans chapters 9 through 16, we're going to take this week and next and do a little bit of looking back so that we can reinforce some of the teaching uh, that we received last year so that it can help us just to remember, uh, help us to grow closer to Christ, help us to apply uh, these truths uh, to our lives. And so what I want to do today, what I want to do also next Sunday is look again at the doctrine of our union with Christ. Now, last fall, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, if you were here, I told you that this is the most important doctrine almost no one knows about. Now, for a variety of reasons in the last maybe century or so, uh, many Christ followers have forgotten, maybe minimized, maybe sidelined union with Christ. In fact, I know talking to some of you, when I talked about this a few months ago, you were like, I, I don't know that I've ever really heard of this. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. A lot of us have read the Bible and we have studied the Bible and we've listened to messages and yet we've, we've not really understood and seen the centrality of this doctrine of union with Christ and it really is central to our faith. It really is fundamental and, and foundational because it is a doctrine that answers this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, again, I want you to think about this. If someone were maybe to come to you and ask you uh, to tell them they're not a Christ follower, uh, they want you to, to explain to them, well, what does it mean to, to be a Christian? What would you say? How would you answer that question? And maybe you would talk about forgiveness of sin, or maybe you would talk about going to heaven and staying out of hell. Everybody votes for that, right? Uh, beginning of New Year, we all, we all want that. Maybe you would talk about believing the truth, the right doctrines that the Bible teaches. I think most of us, if we've been walking with Christ uh, for a while would probably eventually get to saying something like Christianity is about a relationship with God. And we would be right if we said that, but that ought to actually evoke another question, which is what kind of relationship? Because just, just think about it. We, we all have different kinds of relationships, all kinds of them with different kinds of people, right? We have functional and dysfunctional relationships. We have formal and informal relationships. We, some of us have loving and abusive relationships. They're relationships. We, we probably all have intimate and shallow relationships. There's all kinds of relationships. So when we talk about having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, we cannot just assume that we all know what that relationship would look like. So what kind of relationship does God offer us in his son, Jesus? And that, that's really what this doctrine is helping us to understand, what we're going to be talking about today and next Sunday, because more than any other way in the Bible, whether you've ever seen this or not, whether this is a surprise to you or not, the Bible describes that relationship more than any other way as our union with Christ. 
Now, union's not a word we use all the time, kind of a funny word. Probably most of the time we use this word, we use it maybe to speak of marriage. Marriage is a union between a man and a woman. And that should kind of clue us in to something about what this doctor means. Uh, Union is meant to point to this deep and profound and personal relationship of oneness between Jesus and his people. Now, in this union, we don't become God. We don't get absorbed into God. The creator uh, created distinction remains. But there is this incredibly unique and, and profound relationship of belonging to God that he forges in us with Jesus. And there is no relationship anywhere in this world offered to any human being that is more intimate, more secure, that has more meaning, more love, more joy, more satisfaction, more forgiveness than being in Jesus. Every human being, whether they've ever darkened the door of a church or not, whether they've ever cracked open a Bible or a bottle, Every human being longs for a relationship like this. If you were late, you don't know what I'm talking about. That's too bad for you. You'll have to watch the tape later. But every human being longs for a relationship like this. Why? Because God made us for a relationship like this. Now, we call ourselves Christians, right? Have you ever noticed that that word hardly ever occurs in the Bible? Maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've not, but it actually only occurs three times, just three times. It, it occurs in Acts 11, in Acts 26, it occurs in 1 Peter 4. Uh, Christianity is actually in the book of Acts referred to as the way five times. So maybe you could argue that the way would be a more accurate description of the faith that we have, a more appropriate title. Um, you, you can say, well, are there any other options in the Bible? Well, there's the word saints and uh, Most of us don't like to call ourselves that. We feel kind of weird saying to someone else, you're a saint. And yet the Bible says that's who we are. It uses that term 61 times. That's a pretty common term. But the actual truth, the reality is the most common expression in the New Testament used to describe followers of Christ, especially in Paul, is the phrase in Christ. In Christ, this a little prepositional phrase that most of us just bounce over the top of as we work our way through the Bible, right? We probably don't even hardly stop to think about what it's telling us most of the time. Paul uses the phrase 164 times. And if you count similar phrases that mean the same thing, like in Jesus or in the Lord or in God, um, you know, Paul uses these phrases. If you, you talk about phrases like into Christ or with Christ or through Christ, all describing this relationship that we have, it, it goes way over 200 times because it's for Paul very clear that this phrase is what it means to be a Christian. And so the question for anyone who faithfully reads the Bible when they hear that is, why do I not fundamentally always go there and think of this as the description of my relationship to Jesus. And I'm pretty confident most of us don't. Union with Christ. 
You say, well, I don't know if I've ever really noticed that. Okay, well, here's a few examples. I won't give you 164, but uh, Romans 6.23 says we have eternal life in Christ. Real familiar verse. Romans 8.1 says that we have no condemnation in Christ. We are justified in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.2, Paul says we are sanctified in Christ. Romans 8.30 that we studied just a few weeks ago says we are glorified in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 says we are made alive in Christ. Ephesians 1.4 says we are predestined in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 says we are raised in Christ. Galatians 3, 6 says we are adopted as children in Christ. And we could go on and on and on. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it's very clear. I hope you're understanding that as we read the New Testament, the New Testament means for us to see ourselves as being in Christ, that the authors of the New Testament believe that everything in the Christian life flows out of, stems from this center of our faith, which is being in Christ. And and it's not only that, just these words. The New Testament on top of this also uses a wealth of metaphors to describe the relationship that God creates with his people in Christ. There are some theologians who estimate that as many as 96 different kinds of metaphors are used in the New Testament to describe this unique, profound nature of a relationship God has with his people. Uh, I've already kind of alluded to one. Uh, The Bible says this relationship is like the relationship of marriage and yet more intimate. It's like the relationship of living stones mortared together in a building and yet more secure. It's like the relationship of the members, the parts of a human body, and yet more profound. It's like the relationship of a vine to its branches and yet more alive and more dynamic. It's like the relationship of a shepherd to his sheep and yet more personal. It's like the relationship of adopted sons and daughters as a perfect father relates to members of a new family and yet even more profoundly loving. And if you stop the process or try to process all of this, you might be asking, why does the New Testament employ so many different metaphors to describe the relationship? Like, can we just like talk about marriage or family or maybe citizenship or sheep? Why do we have to have all of these? And here's the answer. This relationship is so amazing, so profound, so beautiful, so deep and rich that no single metaphor fully captures the essence of the relationship God creates with his people in Jesus. It takes all of these things all together to help us have this profound sense of wonder and awe about what God has done to make us his people. And honestly, if you step back and look at the number of terms and prepositions and metaphors and biblical themes and different relationships that describe our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, it's astonishing, it's amazing, it's mind-blowing. So how are we to kind of bring this down to some place where we can get our hands on it. Someone has put together a working definition that says 
the doctrine of our union with Christ is a set of prepositions and metaphors and multi-layered relational realities and biblical themes that describe this unique and living and multi-dimensional and profound relational belonging that God creates with his people in Christ. Or in short, we can say we are in Christ and Christ is in us. The relationship that God creates with his people in Christ is unlike any other relationship available to a human being. It is more durable. It is far more infinitely more safe, more personal, longer lasting, more meaningful than any other relationship that we could have. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. This is what it means to be a Christian. And if you're thinking right now, I don't think I get this. I'm not sure I'm grappling with this. That's fine. That's good. It's going to take you the rest of your life. And even then, you're not going to understand it all. But it's going to be worth the work. It's going to be worth the effort. And you're going to believe me if you enter in, you're going to find out, right? To be in Christ is what it means to be a Christian. And this is just telling us that our salvation is so radically, profoundly, personally relational. And so what I want to do, we've talked about this before. I I am reviewing some of you, if you have good memories or remembering some of the things I've been saying. But I think we need to hear them again. I want to drive them deeper because it's important as we continue in our study of Romans that we really have a firm, growing grasp on this. And so we're going to go back today to Romans 6. And we're going to talk about part of what it means to be in Christ, to be in union with Christ, to be united with Christ. Next week, you'll want to come back. We're going to explore in more depth this, uh, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in being in Christ. We're going to talk some more about some things we talked about last year. And, and in our passage today, what Paul is telling us and what we're going to look at is that union with Christ means that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Now, that's something you heard us talk about last year. We explored that some, but we're going to go at it again. And I hope it'll unpack some things for you that are new and fresh. And maybe you weren't here when we did this, so maybe it'll be brand new. But today, three truths about our union with Christ. Three truths and how those truths transform the way we see our lives and the way we, we live our lives. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper uh, together as we begin this new year. So here's the, the points uh, that I have for you. Number one, the first one is we are united in death to Christ. And let's just begin at the beginning of this chapter. Verse one says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so Paul's talking about some very practical things here. Verse three says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized uh, into his death. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in union with Christ. What does union with Christ mean? Well, the first thing Paul is telling us here is because Christ is in us, because we are in Christ, means we're dead to sin. What does that mean? Well, it it means we don't live in sin anymore. In fact, I think you can hear it. Paul says to do that is unthinkable. Like, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? It's unthinkable. And the reason he says it is so beautiful. He says you don't keep on sinning because that's not who you are anymore. See, union with Christ fundamentally means we have a totally new identity. We're, we're completely different people in Christ. And a lot of us don't really think like that. A lot of us think being a Christian means my sins are forgiven. It's this kind of transactional thing. You know, I did something for Jesus. I prayed a prayer, said I was sorry. And Jesus did something for me, forgave my sins. I got the ticket that I'm going to take with me to give to St. Peter, you know, when he's there in front of the pearly gates or something like that. But that's really not how the Bible talks about it at all. The Bible says it's so much deeper and richer and more relational. When you come to Christ and he comes into your life, he, yes, does forgive all your sins. But so much more than that, he sweeps you into this larger story that you are now part of. That the things that are true about Jesus are now also true of you. Do you ever think of your life in that way? So what does die to sin mean? Well, we could spend weeks and weeks here. I just want to point out three things kind of in a way that you've probably heard it before, but I think it's so helpful. When we look at Paul's writings, it means these three things. Died to sin means that we are first dead to the penalty of sin. And so the penalty of sin, according to the Bible, is death, separation from God, physical death, eternal death. And because we're united to Christ, because Jesus bore his sins in our place, when we trust in Christ, and we studied this in Romans last year, we are justified. We are declared righteous, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And so we're dead to that penalty. We don't face that penalty anymore. You will not, in Christ, face the judgment, the wrath of God on your sin. I was laying that out there. One guy's paying attention over here. (laughs) That's what it means to start, but it's more than that. Second, we are dead to the power of sin. And we talked about this when we explored Romans 6 last fall. We are freed from sin's power, freed from sin's dominion. Sin no longer reigns, but God's spirit now lives in our hearts and enables us to follow Christ and to live lives that are pleasing to God. See, justification is that doctrinal term that means we are free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is what this is about. Paul was talking about this all through Romans 6 through 8, that we are now free from the power of sin. And then being dead to sin third means that one day in eternity, 
We're going to be glorified. The Bible calls this glorification. And when that happens, we will be dead to the presence of sin. Anybody looking forward to that day? See, I hope you are beginning to process that salvation is not simply when you trusted in Christ one day and prayed a prayer and he forgave your sins. Salvation is you were saved, free from sin's penalty. Now you are saved, you're freed from sin's power. And one day, you're, as you are becoming more and more like Christ throughout this life, one day that, will, that process will be completely completed. You will be glorified. You will be freed from sin's presence. This is all wrapped up in what it means to be in union with Christ. We're dead to sin. Now, I want you to not miss that Paul uses baptism to illustrate this. Do you notice there that he says, all of us were baptized? Some of you need to hear this because Paul assumes that all believers are baptized. The New Testament actually has no category for an unbaptized Christian, and it's because of our union with Christ and because baptism is a picture, an illustration of our union with Christ. And think about it. What does baptism show us? In our union with Christ, we are immersed into Jesus, into his death, into his burial, into his resurrection. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, baptizes us into Christ spiritually, and that's Reality and this spiritual reality is proclaimed outwardly, visibly, publicly as we are baptized in, in water. And, and I hope you are seeing where we are here in this passage that true baptism is really associated with death. There's a lot of death in this chapter. Notice how many times Paul's talking about it in this passage. See, we proclaim in our baptism that God has the right to judge us for our sins as worthy of death. We proclaim in our baptism that we want to be found in Christ who took the penalty for sin, who died, and who Jesus, who went into the ground. And that is why Jesus, as he's headed to the cross, you remember this? He talks about the cross as a baptism. You remember that? That he has to undergo. And he talks about how he's anxious until he undergoes it. That is why when we go into the water, and of course this is why we immerse people in the water. Not just because the, the Greek word means that. But because of what immersion depicts about our union with Jesus. So what are, we, what are we saying in baptism? Well, we are saying that we have been drowned with Christ. We've been put to death with Christ. That the wrath of God has overtaken us, that we have gone into a watery grave as one dead, completely cut off from air, and then we've been raised to a new life on the other side. See, we immerse people. That's how we baptize, because we believe that such a radical break from our old life, this old man who loves sin to this new man who hates sin, that such a radical break demands a bold and public declaration of what has happened to us in our unification with Christ. So being in Christ, being united with Christ means we're dead to sin. Paul continues in verses 5 through 7. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So Paul is just saying, put it out there, our union with Christ means the old self dies. We're dead to sin. And and I want to take a moment on this first Sunday of this new year to point out to you how that message stands in such stark opposition to today's culture. We need to be reminded about this regularly because a lot of us get sucked into it and we don't even know. But our culture says that the height of human flourishing is not death, not self-denial, but self-expression. That's what our culture believes. And so do some of us. It is drilled into us every day nowadays when we're in school from kindergarten to graduation. It is drilled into us on social media, drilled into us whenever we watch TV or, or, or movies, that the essence of what it means to be a human being is to express yourself. This is not in my notes, but I have to say it. Do you understand that we are the only culture in the history of the world who's ever thought that? You should consider that. Maybe we're not as smart as we think we are. See, what this is saying is that the essence of being a human being, authentic, you know, real, is to get what is in here out there. That's what it means to be a human being. That's what's behind phrases like, you gotta live your truth. You gotta be you, be who you are. That's why we're always talking about being authentic, you know. Now, you might even say that our culture's gospel is self-identity. We think that's the good news. That's the way to life. You know, who are you? That's why we're always having these, all these discussions about identity right now. Who are you? How are you expressing that self inside you to all the people around you? Because, of course, all the people around you are just waiting to see what's inside you. Right? You ever think about that one? And you know what I'm talking about because you don't want to hear what's inside them either. I'll give you a few examples, and, and this ties into union with Christ, I think, in a, in a very deep way. I want you to hear that what I'm about to say, I'm not intending to be controversial. I'm t- intending to show you what gospel our culture is preaching to us. And the first thing I want to talk about here is all of the cultural messaging around gender in- ideology or sexual orientation, And I say this understanding that there are likely people in this room who are struggling with these issues and thinking about these things in a lot of different ways. But but right now, all I'm trying to say is I want you to see the basic idea behind this thing that you're thinking about. And here it is, the core idea in all of these issues that are swirling around all of these matters of identity is that you have something in here, thoughts and desires, hopes, happiness, whatever it is, and you're supposed to express that in here, out there, to the world. And the best way to do that is without constraints, regardless of what biology or physiology might actually say about yourself, regardless of what God might actually say about the way that we should live. The idea is that there is an inner self 
That is the most essential thing, even if it contradicts your out, outer self, your actual body. The most important thing you can do is express that internal self to the external world. That's what gender ideology teaches. And I think that's the question we need to ask. Is that true? Same thing is also true in regard to sexual orientation. But in case you think I'm, you know, just taking... Uh, pot shots at something. Let me just bring it closer to home. An example that might hit differently for some of us. Over the years, I have had multiple conversations with a lot of different Christians about divorce. I've seen this time and time again. And of course, yes, in matters of divorce, the Bible does give us specific reasons that divorce can take place. It can take place when there is adultery or when there's abuse or abandonment. But our culture tells us that divorce is okay if my marriage doesn't make me happy. They just don't make me happy anymore. They, they're, they're just not helping what's in here to be expressed out there. And I hope you're understanding that the same line of thinking that I've just been talking about is in, in play here. Myself is unhappy. My self is not flourishing and I need to express that happiness and I'm not happy. Therefore, I need to change my external reality. And, and again, we could talk a lot about divorce and it's a complex issue. I understand that, but I want you to see what's going on here. I want you to understand that this is not a new problem. This is actually a Genesis 3 problem, you know, where God said, don't eat of the tree, of the fruit that's on this tree. And then Satan, the deceiver, says, yeah, but did God really say that? And see, at the core of human sinfulness always is this desire to express the self in ways outside of God's design. We even see that in... <laughs> In Jesus' disciples, you remember when, when uh, Jesus told them that he was going to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross and, and then Peter uh, rebuked Jesus for saying that and, and Jesus had to rebuke Peter. And Peter was a lot like us. He thought that the height of human flourishing for Jesus was that Jesus would conquer and be victorious. But Jesus says the height of my self-expression is actually self-denial. He turns to his disciples and he says to them, if any of you want to come after me, what's next? You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. He, he goes on to say, because if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you desire, don't miss this, if you desire to save, to self-express to be the authentic you, in the end, ultimately, you will lose your life. But Jesus says, if you lose your life for me, then, then you will find it. You, you see how this opposes what our culture tells us. Our culture says, literally, find yourself. That's where the life is. But Jesus says, no, that's where death is. That always leads to death. And Jesus says, lose yourself die to yourself, find your life in me, and then you will live forever. The gospel of this world is self-expression. The gospel of God is self-denial. Give yourself away, Jesus says. The world says, come to me and live. Jesus says, if you do that, you will die. Instead, Jesus says, you come to me and you will live.
So being united with Christ is about dying to sin. And I just want to ask, maybe you should write this down and think about it and pray about it some later today or throughout this week. Where do you need to die in your life today? Union with Christ means that Christ is in me and I am in him. The old self has died. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Such good news. I come to Jesus. I die to my old life. I get true, new, abundant, eternal life. That's union with Christ. But secondly, there's more. We are united in life to Christ. Our union with Christ doesn't mean we just die, but it means we get new life. And and maybe you can think of it this way. It's like we have a new future with Christ, in Christ. Verses 8 through 10 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. See, being united in death to Christ means that we also now have Christ's life. And because Jesus has defeated death in his resurrection, that means death no longer has dominion over him. He has died once, Paul says, so now he lives forever. And if we are united to him, with him, that means we too also live forever. Are you tracking with me here? Picking up what I'm putting down. We're in him. So everything true about him is true about us. Jesus has defeated sin. He has victory over sin. That means also we have that victory over sin. That's why we're free. Sin doesn't reign over us anymore. And yes, of course, in this world under the siege of sin, we still have to fight sin. But sin is no longer our master. We talked a lot about that last year. Sin's power over us has been broken Now, because we are in Christ, because we have union with Christ, the normal pattern of our lives as those in Christ is spiritual growth. Because Christ's life is inside us, because of our union to him. And I I just, I'm I'm saying this again and again. It's so important that you know this is not just something God says, just mere words. God's creation of new life in us through our union with Christ, changes everything. God's statement that we are in Christ and Christ is in us is real reality, is true truth. It's not just talk. And I think what's amazing about considering this is that as we think about this and look how it impacts our life and apply it, is it actually begins to change us. As we understand these truths, we begin to live into it. It's, it's this declaration that God makes over us that, that is transformative. It's sort of like what, what happens whenever like, I officiated a wedding ceremony. At the end of the ceremony, I'll say those happy words. I, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Those words declare a new reality. They are now true. 
And Jesus died to defeat sin and death. He died to strip sin and death of their power. God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that 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 is exactly what happened on the cross. So now we have life because of what Jesus has accomplished in his work. And here's what this means for us. You can live with certainty in this life because your destiny is linked to his, intertwined with his. You are safe because he is safe. And one day we will experience that in fullness, in reality. One day we will be in that place where there is no more sin, there is no more death, there is no more pain, there is no more violence and war, no evil of any kind, only total peace. See, our future is safe and we don't have to live in anxiety because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Jesus who lives in us. It depends on Christ with whom we are united. I shared this illustration with you before. I want to share it again because I think there's a few people in the room it'll really help, okay? Um, And maybe it's a little silly, but it's like before we met Christ and were unified with him, we were mere mortals, but now we are superheroes, with superpowers. And if you want to think about the superhero thing, it's, 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 it's not like we're like Batman. It's more like we're like Spider-Man. Who's on Spider-Man's team here? Like, like a lot of people love Spider-Man, but think about it. Batman is this rich guy with lots of cool toys, right? Spider-Man, he's got some cool toys too, but his superhero-ness is more about the spider powers that he received that are now part of him when he was bitten by the radioactive spider. Because that's exactly what would happen, right? And that's more what it means to be made alive in Christ, to be united with Christ. It's not like Jesus gives us a bunch of new cool gadgets and toys. It's more that something in us, in our very nature, has changed. We used to be dead to sin Now we're alive to Christ. We used to be mere mortals, but now we are mortals in Christ because of our union with him. We are no longer who we used to be. Well, let me wrap this up with the third uh, thing that we must see. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here this morning, but simply to say this, we need to live out of the truth of our union with Christ. Uh, We talked about this last year. Um, I'm going to say it again in verse 11. Paul uh, shifts grammatically from uh, the indicative, talking about things that are true of us, to the imperative, which is when he gives commands. And, and I told you last fall that Romans 6:11 is the very first command in the whole book of Romans. Paul has been for five plus chapters telling the Romans, here's what is true about you. Here's what is true about you over and over again. Now he tells them what they must do about what is true. And this is what you must do. Verses 11 and 12 say, so you also must consider yourselves, there's the command, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So all this stuff we've been talking about all morning about union with Christ, Paul is saying now live it out. Practice what this means in your life. And that begins by 
seeing yourself in a whole new way. Paul would say, I think if you look in the mirror now, you must consider that that old, dead, unbelieving self is gone. It's no longer around. He would say, I think, live as though you're dead to sin because you are. But here's the problem. And I know you're all thinking about it. But, Pastor Mike, I still sin. Right? Anybody else thinking about that right now? It doesn't feel sometimes like sin is dead, does it? We still struggle with sin. But what Paul is saying now is we don't fight sin as those who are under its power. We, 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 we don't fight sin as those who are sinners by nature. We fight sin as those who are dead in sin and alive to Christ because we are united with Christ, because we have Christ's life in us. And so that means the next time you're struggling with that sin, you need to tell yourself, remind yourself, that person is dead. That's not who I am anymore. That person is dying. That's not who I am anymore. I'm going to put that person to death again every day, every day. You go back to Jesus' words, pick up your cross and die and follow me. You begin to live out of that truth more and more. Verses 13 and 14 say, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So Paul basically is just saying, live as though you're alive in Christ because you are. Don't live that old way. That's not who you are anymore live this way now. It's who you are. And I think sometimes some of us think that that's who I'm going to be one day, way, way out there in the future. Or maybe some of us think that's how I'm going to be when I die and I go to heaven. No, Paul says that's who you are now. Everybody say now. Now. That's who you are now because of your union with Christ. Say union with Christ in a world under the siege of sin means that we are actively and positively and intentionally living into what God tells us is already true about us. Whether you feel like it or not, you are in Christ. Whether you feel like it or not, you are in Christ. And I I want right now you just to hear that in your mind again. I want everybody to say amen just to affirm that, even though it doesn't feel like it. So whether you are feeling like it or not, you are in Christ. It's true. It's true. Paul says, live it out. And that's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to be a son or a daughter of Christ. You are living out day after day after day after day the reality of your union with Christ. And I'm just telling you, if you get that and if you live that and if you grow in that, it changes everything. Last, um, uh, last year, one of our services, I gave you um, something to pray. I want to give the same thing to you again. Some of you probably 
took it down. Some of you may not have been here, but I, I want to give you this tool of, of prayer, a prayer that you can pray uh, that expresses your union with Christ. Here it is, and you can take a picture of it or write it down if you'd like to, but the prayer is, I am bought with Christ's blood. I have been delivered from slavery to sin. I was saved by Christ so that I would not sin. And you may need to pray that every day as an expression of the truth of what God has done in your life. And we're gonna talk more about what that looks like next week how the Holy Spirit plays a role in all of this. So I hope you'll be back for that, the Holy Spirit in our union with Christ. But right now, I wanna invite you to pray. If you just bow your heads, we're gonna prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Father God, we just, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you do through your word. And Lord, I just want to um, to pray and ask you to help someone in the room right now, maybe a lot of us, who need to begin considering themselves dead to sin. Lord, not in their own power, not, not Lord, because of their strength, but because of this ultimate truth that Jesus is alive and he has united himself to us and he is living in us because we have trusted in him. So Lord, would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to kill sin, to put it in the grave, to die to it forever. And when it raises its head again, to put it to death again. Lord, anyone who's struggling with sin right now, would you just renew them with your power through the Holy Spirit? Would you remind them that they are in Christ? Would you free them, Lord, from the sin that entangles them and oppresses them? Would you allow them to run the race you've set before them, Lord, to free them from every brokenness, every old habit? Just give power to your people. Help us to live in that power. And Lord, would you also help us to consider ourselves alive to Christ, that we are new people because Jesus is alive. We are alive. He is in us and we are in him. And we're not just participating in some dead, cold, intellectual religion. We are, Lord, participating in a, a new world that Jesus is the king over, that he is alive and he is reigning and ruling We are dead to sin in Christ. We are alive to Christ because of our union with him. So help us, Father, to live according to this reality. We pray all of these things in the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people say.